0: Welcome, one and all, to episode 164 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the Baseball Talk episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that back in 1989, Topps Baseball Card Company created the actual set of talking baseball cards called Baseball Talk, which consisted of 164 said talking baseball cards and with that little bit of baseball talk talking baseball card knowledge i of course am matt and coming to us all the way from california would be our
1: resident sony employee tim 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 or tim tim Taru. and matt i'm kind of sad this week because the headquarters the sls cast editing headquarters will be moving this weekend this is the last night I will be recording and editing from my current location. Cool. I thought, well, I
0: saw the I saw the pictures of the packing. I, I no, had no, no, presumed. no, not packing, but packing. Ah, yes, of the packing. And so I had presumed that you were actually already moved over the weekend.
1: No, no, we're not move in until Saturday. We were doing some pre-packing. I have a lot of crap that like a lot of cords and stuff that needs to be detangled and presume i mean i get i mean i guess you could call it nicely folded i mean you're not seeing like air quotes here nicely wrapped <laughs> and placed in a box which putting cords in a box doesn't matter if you tie them you know like you with cords you can kind of tie True. it together and or put like twisty ties on it regardless if you close that box within minutes Every single one of those cords will be all twisted together and knotted up and it's going to take you an hour and a half to get it out. I think putting cords in a box, you should always expect it to look like Clark Griswold's Christmas house lights. You know, when he comes out with the with big ball, gives it to Russ. Sure, sure. Okay.
0: Let, let me, allow me to help you. Help me help you. Okay. Uh, do you have anything cord-like? That you could coil in front of you at this very moment. No, it's all in a box. Oh, that's terrible. Okay. Well, the idea is that you take your cord that you will need to be coiling up, right? Yeah. And you you grab, you, you know, you have your straightened cord. You hold on to one end of that cord, okay? And then you, you know, you make your little coil and you coil and you coil, right? Now you've got this little loop that you're holding on to of, of bundled coil. And then, what you do is you take the opposite end of that coil and you hold it like a steering wheel. Okay? And then you put your hands together and then you squeeze that coil into one bundle. And it looks kind of almost like a little figure eight. Not quite because it's not twisted, it's just squeezed together. And then you take a tie wrap, preferably. You might know them as zip ties. But if you absolutely had to, you could use a twisty tie. And then right where that little coil meets, you you use your zip tie or your little wrapping, you know, tie wrap thing.
1: Who calls it a tie and, wrap? I've never heard anybody boom. call it a tie wrap. It's always zip ties. Um, it sounds it's it's uh, sleeker.
0: I I when I used to do telephone installs and stuff and cabling, we called them tie wraps
1: kind of like a, a
0: this was this was literally 20 years ago maybe the nomenclature now is zip time well you know it's like, it's like people
1: call box cutters utility knives or they call utility yeah, yeah. knives box cutters yeah that's right so
0: at any rate so you have that nicely cooled, and then it doesn't come undone and it doesn't get tangled
1: well you know I, I started doing something like that but 35 minutes later I kind of got tired of it and just thought oh, it's gonna end up Looking like shit anyways down the road. But, you know, most importantly, the most important part of this week, the one thing I got out of of this week, and I thought of you, uh, because I think I'm going to get you one of these, because I think, you know, I remember you saying that you really wanted this as a gift. You had it on your Christmas list, but your wife and children didn't get you it. They suck, I guess. And you wanted this for your birthday, and, you know, they, they dropped the ball again. But I think this year, Matthew... I'm going to get you this, because at the grocery store, I saw a very fit man. I, I mean, well, I guess I, I couldn't tell because I was so distracted by this, but he was pushing his cart. Yet, I shouldn't say he was pushing his cart, but what was pushing his cart was the self-balancing two-wheel smart electric scooter that was pushing him pushing his cart through the local <laughs> Ralphs. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: yes, the... The the picture you sent me last night. I I was at my I was at my neighbor's house here in the cul-de-sac and we were having a few beverages. Um which is interesting. I got to try healthy liquor for the first time last <laughs> night. And is it yeah is it green? It, no, it was kind of a Kale liquor? Kind of a a passion fruit colored drink. So it's not healthy, really. Oh it it oh it was made with all natural coconut water and rabina a. And you could find this this was being sold at the uh, H-E-B and they were literally going healthy liquor. Try some healthy liquor. <laughs> anyway, neither here nor there. I got your I, and so I got that picture and i just started laughing my ass off cuz at first i didn't understand because it was in potato mode and so it was a little blurry in the background but i was able to zoom in and when i realized what you had taken the picture of there at the old kroger or you know whatever kroger branded store you were in Rouch. i laughed and had to show all my neighbors and we had a very good laugh at the expense of i'm i'm so thin i'm it's like the thin it's like the thin version. It really is now. It's like the thin person version of the fat person scooter at Walmart. <laughs> it's almost as if you can see them, like it's they're young, they're vibrant, they're thin, but they're eventually gonna get fat because they're not walking anymore. What a jackass. They've, yeah. They have given up walking and will eventually turn into the gelatinous mass that needs the, you know, that needs the, uh, the scooter, you know, cause he's got a thyroid condition, right? Oh,
1: I'm so good. I don't need to walk around to get groceries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And as a, and as a fat person who is still able to do things, because I, I have it like people have, I have a very close knit group of people who have been told, uh, to do very bad things, ...to my person if I reach a certain point. Because I refuse to become those kinds of people. I
1: refuse. So could you imagine... ...ordering a pizza... ...and you see the pizza man come up... ...and he he, he pulls up in his car... ...he pulls up in his BMW... ...gets out of the BMW... ...grabs the pizza... ...sets the pizza on the ground... ...pops open his truck... ...pulls out one of these self-balancing... two wheel smart electric scooters and proceeds to roll up to your front door, cutting across your grass, leaving very sleek tire marks, and taking that one step up onto your little front door landing there, if you have one, and deliver your pizza. I don't think that person would deserve a tip at all. I think that person would deserve, once I receive my pizza... Oh, no, they they
0: deserve a tip. It's just the tip would be in verbal form going, stop being a fucking prick and just walk like a normal person that you know along the lines of the tips of you know don't eat yellow snow that kind of shit
1: yes uh, but this was in hollywood guys so those of you who are listening and freaking out don't worry take down the paneling that you are now using to board up your windows and doors <laughs> i think you are safe if you are in a if you are in a more normal suburb from this this atrocity i you know as we're talking about that i'm just kind of like what if he was like paralyzed or
0: <laughs>
1: why would you be paralyzed or not using paralyzed one of those or things? like what if he had some kind of like like a buckled buckled knees
0: i can see no i truly see no circumstance you know maybe it hasn't been invented yet maybe i just am too myopic to be able to fathom it but i truly see no circumstance in which a healthy normally functioning person would need to use one of those stupid segways. sans the handle uh, you know whatever a handle a segway because that's what they are they call them hoverboards they don't hover. There's clearly fucking wheels there.
1: I mean uh. Well so <laughs> To be fair, the guy was standing straight. So his knees could have been buckled and maybe he was very self conscious about going out in public. Well,
0: buckled indicates bent. So you mean his joints are locked? Yeah, locked. So yeah, yeah, really yeah, locked, yeah,
1: locked. And <laughs> so so maybe he was self conscious and didn't want to be goose stepping around town. Maybe he didn't want to offend the Russians or the Germans or Well so the then he's then he's no longer able bodied. You know, he's no
0: longer a healthy, able bodied individual. In which case, we are now entering a new realm of ridiculousness when it comes to the disabled. You know. They're on wheels now? Well, I guess they're, they're usually <laughs> on wheels, I guess, depending. Those, those people on the wheels. Who are those people? What the hell kind of term is that? Oh, fuck. Here we go now. <sighs> well, that was fun. <laughs> I'm I'm hoverboard challenged, so I don't know. Hashtag hoverboard challenged. Anyway, I guess we should move on. Shall we move on? Let's yeah, move. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Uh I let's see. I have nothing but uh some mail. We have mail in the old email, email box. Like we got some it?
1: mail, email.
0: Yes. Literally and I quote taking pity on your empty mailbox. We have an email at, or delivered to the show at slscast.com. Please feel free to send us email to the show at slscast.com. And this comes to us from our wonderful, wonderful Diana. Uh, She says in a subject Bowie tribute, she says, Here I am, the compassionate nurse, taking pity on your empty mailbox. Here's your medicine kudos for recognizing david bowie's acting work i believe he was primarily an actor which he confirms in which he confirms in interviews even while performing his music on stage he admits to playing a character while in concert i think you guys are the only movie critics who honored his talent as actor well done Tim, I'm impressed for someone not of the generation who grew up with Bowie. You really seem to get him. On the other hand, Tim's pronunciation of Paso Robles got me giggling. I lived in the Central Valley for two years and can tell you it's pronounced Paso Robles. I found that I knew this as a New Yorker and had to educate the Californian. Pretty amusing. Also, your take on the hashtag Oscar so white issue. uh, The most accurate I've heard yet. The most objective and detailed analysis really nailed it and made me understand it more. Thanks again, guys, for your most excellent podcast fan girl forever, Diana weeks. And Diana, thank you very much. I am glad that, uh, w- you gave us this lovely dose of medicine and took this pity. Um, as far as the stuff on David Bowie, definitely. Uh, I am also glad that we covered that. And, and, uh, knew that even though Tim was more of a fan of David Bowie's uh, acting repertoire, he was still important nonetheless. And even if I was not a fan at all and couldn't participate in any way, shape, or form, uh, we would still have had to have done something to cover that because there's just no way to get around that. Um, And as far as the Oscars So White, I am actually pleased that we managed to not offend anybody. Uh, well, I don't know. We we may still have done that and just not have heard <laughs> from them. Maybe there's literally so pissed that they just can't manage to get the email through.
1: But I'm gonna go buy all the handleless segues now. <laughs> I'm so mad.
0: I'm telling you, no. But seriously, I, I it is rather refreshing to know that uh, we are able to actually communicate uh, serious. Uh, topics in such a manner that people really do understand it so good job tim
1: we should pat ourselves on the back for that thank you <laughs> but however okay so so diana since since you were ever so kind to correct my mispronouncing of that uh that that location which i i still don't remember how to pronounce it since you're a new also yorker Robles. do you call it Houston Street or how it's actually supposed to be pronounced Houston Street because I don't understand how New Yorkers get Houston out of Houston discuss
0: the silence is where you're supposed to be discussing it with us don't worry we'll get the psychic vibrations (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, though, yes, again, Diana, seriously, thank you very much uh excellent words, and we appreciate your kind thoughts and please, please feel free to take pity on us anytime you <laughs> like we love hearing from yeah,
1: you, yeah, thank you so much. we do appreciate
0: it yeah. me more, so <laughs> yes, please send more um all right, well, then, that is going to take care of um the email as it were and I guess we can go straight into news if you would like to do that sir please we must all right here we go folks it's the news And this week I have, again, we've got five movies to cover, so we're going to try and bust through the news as fast as we can. I have two news stories that I'm going to do at the same time, because they are directly related to one another, and it's all about movies... And their release dates being shuffled around. And it's and it actually kind of kicks off with this. Uh, from Slashfilm.com by way of Ethan Anderton, Avatar 2 delayed will not arrive in Christmas 2017. Yes, you are hearing that correctly. For anyone who was excited to see James Cameron's long just dating Avatar 2, take on Star Wars episode 8 for Christmas box office battle royale. We have some bad news. Avatar 2 will not be ready to meet the Christmas 2017, 2017 release that was staked out for the sequel. Though the release date was never officially claimed by 20th Century Fox, Cameron himself said that they were targeting the holiday release window just last month. But now we have no idea when the sequel might hit the screen. The Wrap has news of Avatar 2.0 avatar 2 delayed though at this point we're not surprised for the past few years avatar 2 has been rumored for 2014 2015 and 2016 and most recently 2017 uh let's see here in the end the it goes through the article continues on to also talk about um the s you know like it, it's comparisons to Star Wars, and perhaps, and also the fact that Disney, having just invested so much money into Avatar Land in uh, Disney in Disney's Animal Kingdom, is not in a position where it would actively try to compete against Avatar Two, uh, because they want people to come. To animal kingdom and spend their money and go to avatar land so it goes on and discusses that in some detail finally it says in the end the fact that it's taking this long for avatar 2 to come to fruition isn't all that surprising james cameron first announced avatar as a future project of his in 1996 and audiences didn't get to see it until 2009 hopefully fans won't have to wait 13 years for avatar 2 Though at this point, they've already waited a little over six. So what's another seven years? Yes. So moving into that, uh, which which literally jumps on this bandwagon here, comic, from comicbookresources.com uh, by way of Albert Ching. Sony Marvel's Spider-Man film moves up release date. It is a huge chain reaction of things that we have going on here. The next Spider-Man movie will be sooner than you thought. Sony has moved up the release date of the film from July 28, 2017 to July 7, 2017. The move, as reported by The Hollywood Reporter, is part of a chain reaction of studio shuffling. The July 2017 release date was formerly inhabited by Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales which took the May 26th, 2017 spot of fellow Disney franchise film Star Wars Episode Seven, after the latter moved to December 15th, 2017. Uh, Additionally, Sony's Jumanji remake has taken Spidey's old slot of July 28th, 2017. And that was actually slated originally for December 25th, 2016. So basically what you see here is that Because of Avatar 2 being delayed, uh, they moved up, Disney moved up, or pushed back rather, Star Wars to fill in that Christmas gap, which then caused um, an opening for all these other movies. So they start shifting them around to fill in the gaps. And now we have Jumanji sitting where it's going to be in a pretty good spot for next year in the summer to actually probably get Um, providing it's even halfway decent uh, getting it some much needed um, additional prep time and a good opening spot and then we're going to get spider-man a little bit faster uh, for the i don't know why people who are going to go see this pirates of the caribbean movie they get to see that Uh, yeah so it's all jumping around um tim questions comments concerns about any of these shifts in release dates and or delays as in the case of avatar 2
1: yeah at least with avatar 2 i was really i was reading something that basically it was up to it's up to james cameron when the movie gets made and and when the movie will get released and it's, it's a very interesting article and i highly recommend you and anybody else who's remotely interested in james cameron or the avatar movie series because it really talks about how since he made two of the highest grossing movies worldwide of all time he kind of has free reign to do whatever the hell he wants and that includes a lot of things that many like even like steven spielberg doesn't even have control of i i would i would bet uh, such as when filming takes place and what actually gets shot so it's very interesting i, I find that all fascinating Sure. And I will say this, the uh, slash slash film dot com article
0: does mention this one thing uh, that Cameron talked about initially with the Christmas 2017 idea. This was the uh, the idea of the date wasn't as important as, quote, the fact that when we get all three films done, we drop them a year apart end quote. So basically, it looks like he's just trying to do the whole thing in one shot. And then that's it. Now it's just a matter of letting them come when they're going to come so cool Well, what do you got sir that's that's all my news so take it away all
1: right uh first up for me via oscars.org this is actually a press release from the academy of motion picture arts and sciences and this pertains to pretty much the whole uh, hashtag oscar so white kind of debacle that's going on and i'm going to read it real quick Quote, in a unanimous vote Thursday night, that's last week, last Thursday, uh, January 21st, the Board of Governors of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences approved a sweeping series of substantive changes designed to make the Academy's membership, its governing bodies, and its voting members significantly more diverse. The Board's goal is to commit to doubling the number of women and diverse members of the Academy by 2020. Quote, the Academy is going to lead and not wait for the industry to catch up, end quote, says Academy President Cheryl Boone Isaacs. Quote, These new measures regarding governance and voting will have an immediate impact and begin the process of significantly changing our membership composition. End quote. Beginning later this year, each new member's voting status will last only 10 years and will be renewed if that new member has been active in motion pictures during that decade. In addition, members will receive lifetime voting rights after three 10-year terms or if they have won or been nominated for an Academy Award. We will apply these same standards retroactively to current members. In other words, if a current member has not been active in the last 10 years, they can still qualify by meeting the other criteria. Those who do not qualify for active status will be moved to emeritus status. Emeritus members do not pay dues but enjoy all the privileges of membership except voting. This will not affect voting for this year's Oscars. At the same time, the Academy will supplement the traditional process in which current members sponsor new members by launching an ambitious global campaign to identify and recruit qualified new members who represent greater diversity. Uh, And it goes on from there. Matt, what do you think about this? Do you think this is at least a step in the right direction for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences? Yeah, but I,
0: I truly believe that only time's going to tell if their quote unquote recruiting campaign, end quote, is going, you know, uh, going to work, uh, or at least going to be anything more than a token effort at this point. Um, I, I think that they, they know the times they are a changing, as the song says, but they, they, They haven't shown the wherewithal to actually carry through these sweeping changes they're trying to discuss. And I think the fact that they're burgeoning some of the uh, expectations of the more diverse group being until 2020 um, is something that is signaling, you know, guys, look, this isn't going to change overnight and will be largely forgotten next year should a similar
1: crop of acting nominations show up again. There you have it. I have a little more faith in this, I think, because it's never good to have stale voters with anything. I mean, you need to keep people active. You need to keep people involved. I mean, think about school. Think about uh, various organizations that those that are listening may be a part of, whether it be a homeowners association, all this stuff. Everybody has... A stake in what's happening therefore you will go out and as in for uh, the, the the voters for the oscars if you're working on a movie and you're in the movie business actively you will go and watch the other movies you're still interested you're still in the game unlike other people who are in it they get to be voters and they're out of touch out of the loop, and they just kind of vote for whoever they might know, or they're just biased because they've worked with this person before or whatnot. I mean, I'm pretty sure that stuff happens, and I think this is definitely something good to do. Two more articles here. The next one from the HollywoodReporter.com. Regal ordered to stop blocking one movie theater's access to studio films. Yes. Regal Entertainment must stop preventing a smaller movie chain from gaining access to studio films like The Hateful Eight, Ride Along 2, and The Revenant, a Texas state judge has ruled. The temporary injunction ordered on Friday comes at the behest of IPIC, which alleges that Regal has coerced Universal, Sony, 20th Century Fox, Lionsgate, and The Weinstein Company The plaintiff's antitrust lawsuit targets so-called clearance packs, which ensure that first-run films are only shown at certain theaters in a set geographical region. IPIC and other small independents have voiced anti-competitive concerns about the arrangement between exhibitors and distributors. Several lawsuits around the country are pushing the case that the three largest exhibitors, that is Regal, AMC, and Cinemark, are using their nationwide dominance to push Sony and others into holding back popular films from smaller competitors in local areas. The concerns are also being investigated by the U.S. Department of Justice, according to SEC filings. In pending lawsuits, judges have split. Regal beat one lawsuit in California, while over in Georgia, an independent theater owner was allowed to move forward in a case against AMC. A lawsuit is also pending against Regal in New York, and another lawsuit against AMC in Texas. The largest decision marks the first time that a judge has intervened in the ongoing controversy by enjoining a theatrical giant from demanding exclusive film licenses. And I'll just end it there. I find this stuff very interesting. You know, big company, or in this case, big movie theater chains... I don't necessarily know if this is the right wordage to use or not, but are paying off movie studios to make sure they don't allow certain movies of theirs to be shown in smaller theaters like IPIC. Uh, other smaller movie theaters are like Landmark Theaters and the Sundance Movie Theaters. We have a Sundance Movie Theater here in L.A. I know there's one in Houston and there's a few more around the country as well. And they're more artsy, but I know, at least the one in L.A., they play mostly artsy films. But the Sundance in Houston, in downtown Houston, they do more current films as well. Um, So I find this very interesting. I think this is something to definitely watch out for. And it really does show you how two-faced these movie theater companies are. Matt, do you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding big theaters? Nope. Alrighty, then the last piece of news here I think is the coolest piece of news of mine for this week. Via gizmodo.com, Sundance's VR films, that is Sundance's virtual reality films, will break your brain. This is written by Brian Lufkin. Oh, I guess I should have mentioned that the THR article that I just uh, mentioned earlier about the big theaters, that one was written by Eric Gardner. Uh, But the Gizmodo one, Sundance's VR Films Will Break Your Brain, written by Brian Lufkin, says this. If this year's Sundance Film Festival is any indication, virtual reality is about to hit the mainstream. Under a program called New Frontier, the festival is promoting 11 independently produced VR films on a smartphone app. The finalists have been chosen from hundreds of entries, and among them are... Some short documentaries, horrifying acid trips, and even a Reggie Watt music video. You can watch them using Google Cardboard on your smartphone by downloading the Sundance VR app. The shorts will be available until February 12th. One of the standout shorts, called Defrost, is a sci-fi futuristic drama that that follows a woman who suffered a massive stroke and was cryogenically frozen. It's the VR debut of Greece director Randall Kleiser, and it stars Carl Weathers. The woman's waking up 30 years later. As the film begins, the viewer experiences the story from the perspective of the woman, Mrs. Garrison, who's wheeled around the hospital after awakening and is reunited with her very emotional family. Though it's not exactly the most original story... It's the first time I've ever seen VR add a new dimension to storytelling. Experiencing the scenes from the perspective of the woman adds more of an emotional wallop because it feels so much more realistic than a 2D movie. When a doctor leans in to touch Mrs. Garrison's knee, it feels real. It feels like there's a doctor in the room you're sitting in. And when you look behind you and see the guy pushing your wheelchair, it immerses you that much more in the fictional world. Another great VR story from Sundance this year is Sonar, which places you in a command center where you're watching a drone explore the inside of an asteroid following a distress signal. Spoiler on this one, you find a cavern full of petrified human corpses. All of these awesome VR experiences aren't without some shortcomings, For one, the picture quality isn't great. With DeFrost, it seems like things were less fuzzy and the resolution was better when characters weren't moving around as much. That would have been a huge setback in an action sequence or something more interactive. The quality wasn't great with Sonar, either, but then we were viewing this on Google Cardboard, not the Oculus, and I felt like the scenes changed too quickly for me to get completely immersed in the story. And again, since I was using these on Google Cardboard... My arms got tired from holding the headset up the whole time. The last one I tried out was Fabulous Wonderland, based on a musical in England of the same name. It starts in a neon abyss, when an enormous golden cat head wearing turquoise glittery glasses starts floating inches in front of your face, with a voice like Jack Skellington and singing a haunting hymn that repeated the line, It's FABULOUS! He also had huge fangs and followed me everywhere I looked. In the background was the sound of a broken record with a British woman going, Pussycat, Pussycat, aside the Golden Cat Dragon's siren song. I felt trapped and threatened and deeply disturbed. Do not consume any mind-bending drawings while watching some kind of VR is all I can wager. I'm waiting for the Surgeon Journal warning to go along with this. It's all kinds of crazy. And the article goes on from there. I think VR, virtual reality is something fascinating and something cool. But, you know, its I don't want to say it's a gimmick. its I can't picture myself sitting in a two-hour movie and experiencing this. I mean, I know a lot of people are saying, well, 3D was a gimmick. 3D is an immersive experience. There's not much different. Yeah, there is... The difference between 3D and and something like virtual reality, because kind of like this movie, I think it was Sonar uh, or uh, is it Sonar uh, Defrost, where the old where the woman is waking up. from uh, from being cryogenically frozen, and you're like this woman, and you're you're, you're experiencing what she's experiencing, therefore, you're sharing these emotions, and you're going through the levels of emotions that she would be going through uh, due to what you are seeing, and you actually feel like you're being there, that, I mean, that kind of goes beyond the boundary of enjoying a movie, you know? That is definitely an experience that I don't want to be experiencing for every single movie I go see, and I understand virtual reality. I mean, I gotta hope it won't become the next 3D. Because the cool thing about 3D is that you have your basic picture. Uh, something you you know, take something like Avatar or even uh, 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 Prometheus where you're watching the movie, and it's a really good movie, but it adds a little depth. You know, you can see mountains beyond mountains. You can see how far an ocean, how vast the ocean really is. You know, you can see the clouds moving in front of one another, and it still, and it creates that depth and feel to it, to where it it looks like you're looking at a real picture, kind of like whenever you go to a museum and you look at oil paintings, or any paintings, really, and they create that depth, and there's real artistry into it and it's beautiful. But with this virtual reality, it's to me this is definitely a gimmick and I really don't know how much you know how I really feel about this possibly becoming the next movie going experience because I sure as hell don't want to be watching a horror movie via virtual reality matt what do you think do you have any strong opinions towards virtual reality or the future of virtual reality or even uh these movies like where the woman wakes up from being uh from being cryogenically frozen do you want to experience what the emotional ups and downs that she is experiencing well let's see kind of
0: on the vr thing because here's the thing VR in and of itself is not actually a bad thing. It is in, it is in fact an amazing thing. And if you follow gaming at all, you will see the amazing strides that are that are being made in VR today and they are not just from a developer perspective anymore. This is stuff that is very rapidly going to be able to be in your
1: home. you can already and have think- VR with uh, your smartphone. With your Android. Yes,
0: yeah. and of course you have uh, the new Sony devices that that uh, have been making great strides over the last few years. Of course, everyone knows Oculus Rift. But um, the thing is, is that once this becomes prevalent in the personal sphere, people are going to want to replicate that experience as often as possible, which also means movies. And... You can't. The, VR is not something that you can do a conversion of. So it's not as simple as filming in two D and then post production convert to three D just so you can make an extra three bucks for the people who want to do it that way. So yes, I want to see it because it's gonna have to be something that's done. Just like what you've been what you've been describing. These are all scenarios and films or experiences that are designed to be as such because without having the vr component you're not going to be interested in what it has and these early steps are going to make for more immersive experiences that will be better produced better acted and those kinds of things that will make it more enjoyable but it's going to have to be its own market Do I want to see it as, oh, look, here's the new Warcraft movie and we're just going to make it work in VR? No, that's going to suck dick and it's going to destroy it. But if you're actually creating the market for it and creating experiences unique to it, then it can, I think it can work. I just think that studios are going to have to know that going in and the big theaters that I know we were, you know, well, you had some things to say about in the news segment are really going to be kind of more, more or less going to be the only avenues that can support that because they might dedicate one of the smaller theaters in, you know, to it. Like you go to the multiplex and like the smallest theater they have, will be able to, uh, you know, associate that. So, that's why I say kind of, because it's gonna take some tinkering, but it's gonna just be completely ruinous if they try and do it with the way that they have done 3D. So I'm sorry to have taken so long, but yes, that's that's where I'm at.
1: But up, but up, bump, boop. All right.
0: Well, there was there was news, and now it's time for Thirty Square. <laughs> As we noted last week, we did have the very, very sad passing of Alan Rickman. And so this week's Three Squared is going to be our favorite Alan Rickman movies. And to be fair to both Alan Rickman and the breadth of his work, I I will say that while these are among my favorite movies that I feel best represent the characters that he's played for my choices anyway these are not the end all be all and i am certain that tim will shares that sentiment please go and see movies you know uh for example truly madly deeply or love actually uh, you know movies even movies like judas kiss and stuff like that please see these other films that we don't talk about because it's just these are the things that are most indelible for us And I think really reflect the way we have enjoyed Alan Rickman throughout his career. But these six movies that we're going to be talking about, or series as the case may be, um, are just the way we have been able to remember him best. So that being said, my three movies, uh, I'm just going to go in. Uh, chronological order not necessarily in my absolute favorite order of appearance or anything first up 1990 i'm sorry 1988 die hard of course is hans gruber this was probably the movie that the vast majority of americans over the age of say 25 were introduced to Alan Rickman as we know him. He, of course, plays Hans Gruber, the ultra-intelligent and fashionable terrorist Hans Gruber, who is there to take over Nakatomi Tower, and is, of course, undone by the yippee kaye motherfuckering John McClane, played by Bruce Willis. Um, really what made the character so compelling was not just the fact that he was not your average terrorist it was literally just the suave and subtlety with which gruber's evilness (laughs) i guess you could say was brought to the screen by the way it was played by uh alan rickman and so that's why I think so many people, you know, are just will always point to Die Hard, and so I, I mean, this list could not be complete without including it in some form or fashion. Next up, though, uh, at number two is 1990s Quigley Down Under. Now, this was a this is a western, and probably outside of say Unforgiven and oh uh, I don't know Dances with Wolves probably this was kind of the waning years of the western as we know it we haven't really had the best resurgence of a good western of the true classic cinema cinematography laden uh amazing score building western since i know that we have a new style with movies like the revenant and everything which isn't you know the quote unquote cowboy indian kind of thing but still These movies were very important. And with Quigley Down Under, it actually did not do really, really well in the U.S., especially since it takes place in Australia. But uh, Alan Rickman plays Elliot Marston, who is a ranch owner who actually sends for Quigley, played by Tom Selleck, as a sharpshooter to help kill dingoes. Now, this was an advertisement that went out around the world and dingo shooting dingoes was actually code for shooting aboriginal people and marston is as evil as it gets but he shows a side again this is just the sheer brilliance that is alan rickman what made gruber so compelling was completely ejected for the character of Marston in Quigley Down Under. And instead what you get is this crass, know-it-all, but still nonetheless stupid ranch leader who is just there to be as selfish and as power-hungry as possible. And it's something that... Is shown in a much in a much uh, more fun spotlight in other movies that I am pretty sure another host of this show is going to discuss. But it just cannot be understated how amazing Alan Rickman is. Even though the movie itself is fantastic and Tom Selleck is super awesome, without Rickman to play off of the movie would have been totally different and not in a good way. Finally, for me, we are moving all the way forward to 1999, and we're looking at Dogma. This was kind of like the... Um, basically the culmination of the View Askew universe, really. Um, I know most people like to think Jay and, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is the culmination, but that's really more the thank you. It's more the love letter to the people who made the View Askew universe possible in terms of the fans. But Dogma was one that was going to be, was kind of the most serious effort in terms of trying to be commercially viable. And... To do that, big names had to be attracted. And the fact that they got Alan Rickman, I mean, Kevin Smith, like, was seriously losing his shit in the fact that he could get someone of this caliber into a movie like this. Amongst all the other people, like uh, George Carlin and Chris Rock, uh, who was up and coming at that time, you know, he was definitely... You know, oh my god, everything's actually coming together. And he knew how serious of an actor Alan Rickman was and respected that going in. Alan Rickman plays the Metatron, who is an an angel. And I'm sorry, the... Just the introduction to him and his mouth and the expectoration of the liquor is so overwhelming that you are again left with an indelible mark on your brain in terms of the ability that is Alan Rickman and the movie of course itself is fantastic with you know ostensibly the great 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 niece of Jesus you know needing to fulfill her place in the universe it's a really great story and just rickman brings yet another amazing dimension to a what i thought was an amazing film in and of itself. So my picks are... 1998's Die Hard, 1990's Quigley Down Under, and 1999's Dogma. Take it away, Tim.
1: Rickman! I always uh, think of the Gene Hackman character in South Park, where every time, instead of calling him Gene Hackman, he's, he's called Hackman! Hackman! Alec Rickman, <laughs> it's just fun. um <laughs> all right, so Alan Rickman he is a master thespian. He is one of those guys he's he's like Anthony Hopkins, you know, the type of people that you know can do excellent stage acting if they wanted to, in addition to being great film actors. Or even TV actors, because I know uh, uh, Alan Rickman did do some. I think he did a he did a mini or he did a he did made for TV movies and whatnot. And he's just a brilliant performer. I mean, his like some of it, even his quotes on acting are great. Uh, he has a quote here uh, quote Acting touches nerves you have absolutely no control over. That is a direct quote from him. And my god, that's just beautiful. That is the essence of what acting is. Because acting isn't supposed to be for pure entertainment of those who are enjoying your acting. Uh, an audience member but it's for you as well you are the one that is creating a character and going through the highs and lows that the character is going through because that is what you are creating that is what you are living and breathing during the time you are working on the film and it's absolutely beautiful and fantastic so that is what I wanted to start off with before going into my three favorite Alan Rickman performances, and Matt, you nailed it on the head. These are definitely not necessarily the win-all, be-all choices of the absolutely best, but these are definitely the most formative for myself growing up. Because the first one I'm going to mention, that was the first time I actually found out who the hell Alan Rickman was. And on top of it, we owned the VHS tape and not the VHS tape of Die Hard at that time. And that first movie is from 1991, and it is the Kevin Reynolds-directed film, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yes, that is right, the one where uh, Kevin Costner is Robin Hood. Though he does not have the accent, he played a damn good Robin Hood, I thought. For those of you who do not know, Alan Rickman plays the bad guy, the evil Sheriff George of Nottingham. And I gotta tell you, he is... The very definition, this character is the very definition of a slimy villain. He has the long black hair, the black goatee, and and trended beard. You know, he's just slimy and gross. He sweats a lot he's a sexual fiend and you just know from the first scene that he is in, the first shot of him you know he is bad. He is the man in black and he is the one to be feared. And he portrays it wonderfully. And what's also great about his portrayal of uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham is that he is very convincing and why is he very convincing? And this is the same uh, that could be said for uh, As the Villain in Die Hard is that he is not just a straight bad guy. And what makes bad guys so memorable and so good is because there are not many great movie bad guys what does hans gruber the sheriff of rottingham those are alan rickman's performances but what uh, have in common with hannibal lecter or anything like that or any other villain like that is because they're human they have humanistic qualities to them they can joke they can be funny and they can be angry And evil at the same time. There's more of a personality to them that makes you, the audience, drawn to that character. And therefore, in some way, more believable to the story. And it also helps, those movies that I just mentioned are all really good movies on top of it. Uh, So yes, my first pick is The Sheriff George of Nottingham. Oh, and on top of that, the best quote of the movie is him saying, Loxley, I'm going to cut your heart out with a spoon as he's looking up to the ceiling where he escaped from. Oh, it's great. I love it. Hang on.
0: Hang hang on. But why a spoon, cousin? Because it's dull, it'll
1: hurt more. But it's important to note, I haven't seen the movie in a while. That is a great quote. I I absolutely love it. But the second choice, I was actually going to pick... His character of Harry from Love Actually from 2003, because I love the dynamic between him and and Emma Thompson playing the couple going through a very rough, 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 rough marriage. But in fact, before I was introduced to Love Actually, Actually, this little movie called Galaxy Quest came out in 1999 where he played Alexander Dane, the, I guess you could call him the Spock character of the film to uh, Tim Allen's Jason Nesmith who is obviously the Captain Kirk character and Sigourney Weaver's Gwen DeMarco character who is obviously Lieutenant Uhura more of a, uh, a more of a, a commanding version of Lieutenant Uhura. But yes, Alan Rickman plays the Spock character and hilarious. The movie is not only a hilarious take on the Star Trek Film or it as well as the Trekkies and the, the the Star Trek fanatics, but he, but his character is an excellent take on Spock. Everything from his iconic uh, headwear, you know, Scott had his ears. Well, Alexander Dane, he has this alien like head, and he has a quote which he says that is his symbolic quote, his character symbolic quote, and that quote is, "By Grabthar's hammer." By the sons of Warven, you shall be avenged. And that is not at all how he says that. In fact, Alan Rickman does have the, you know, he, yeah, yeah, he talks, he, he has the British, well, first he has a British accent, but he talks a little like this in a way. And it's just beautiful, and this character is beautiful and it's it's great there's really not much more to say, but you if you have not seen Galaxy Quest, you have got to see Galaxy Quest, if anything, for Alan Rickman's performance because he is tired of playing the role he is wanting to not be associated with the Galaxy Quest show within that that you know that the you know his character is based on anymore he's tired of the fans. Until in the movie, they're all swept away into a real life space sci fi adventure where aliens think they are actually these characters. They don't understand that they are actually actors. I probably should have explained the movie before I talked a little bit in depth into it, but that is the basic gist of it. And within the movie, or by the end of the movie, these actors become the characters who they portray. And alexander dane does become his character and it's great and then he brings that quote at the end when he thinks he's actually avenging when he's avenging the death of one of the aliens that he befriends and he has says that quote by Grapthar's hammer by the sons of warven you shall be avenged and it's very effective and it's very convincing it's fun seeing his character have that arc of embracing his you know embracing what his character actually represents i suppose if that makes any sense probably not but i you know right now it does to me and then finally the last film actually i should say the last many films <laughs> that i'm going to mention are the harry potter films not one in particular but all the harry potter films spanning from 2001 up into 2011 which that is when harry potter the deathly hollows part 2 was released I wanted to mention these films because of his performance as Professor Severus Snape. Talk about a gratifying experience as an audience member who has not read any of the books. I've not read any of the books, and but watched all the movies about twice, an average of two or three times, mainly probably just twice. Um, and it's entertaining and it's gratifying to be able to watch all of these really good movies chock full of really good characters and actually seeing them watching their characters have their arc and that can especially be said with professor severus snape because you fear him at the beginning you don't know what his motives are he's a very well actually he he's a bad guy at the beginning and as the movies go on he becomes more mysterious than anything else and you're not sure if really he's lying, if he's going to help Harry, or if he's going to completely ruin or destroy Harry Potter's life. You don't know what's going to happen until the final film. Partial spoiler alert, I guess, but once you see the end of the movie, you actually feel bad for him. And i that was the only character I actually felt for. Because you saw the growth of the character, and once you realize what the character has been working for... There at the end, it just completely wows me. You know, even thinking about it, it wows me because these are Harry Potter movies. You know, yeah, they're good, but there's not a whole lot of substantial backing to it. And what substantial backing that it has, what substance is not part of Alan Rickman's performance as Professor Severus Snape. So again, my three... Alan Rickman performances are Sheriff George of Nottingham in the 1991 film Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, Alexander Dane from the 1999 film Galaxy Quest, and Professor Severus Snake from the Harry Potter movies that spanned 2001 to 2011.
0: I guess that's it then,
1: huh? Were were you (laughs) wanting more? I. Yes,
0: yes. I want a breakdown of every single movie, minute by minute. I don't want this encapsulation of the series bullshit. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, well next week, because of the sheer number of movies we are going to have to watch uh, and cover in order to be ready for the Oscars... We are not going to have a bonus segment, so it's just going to be news and movies next week, Uh, just as a heads up for that. And without further ado, we now will officially go to... The Movies! This week's films are Carol, the Danish girl, 45 years, Joy and Trumbo. So, where would you like to start, sir? How about Trumbo? Trumbo, 2015 American Biographical Drama Film, directed by Jay Roach and written by John McNamara. Uh, film stars Brian Cranston, Diane Lane, Helen Mirren, Louis C.K., Ellie Fanning, John Goodman, and Michael Stolbarg, along with a whole bunch of other people portraying various historical figures and also legendary screen figures. Um so this is basically the story of Dalton Trumbo who was unjustly the subject of the House on Un-American Activities Committee um during actually even before McCarthy during before the McCarthy era, era and his subsequent conviction for uh, um uh, contempt of congress which led him to being on the blacklist and how he was able to subvert said blacklist uh the film so here's the here's what's up with a film of this caliber lots of movie stars and lots of great actors delivering very very solid performances i think that uh cranston did do just a fantastic job of embodying the character as written on the script uh, as written in the script again this one's kind of a touchy subject um and so i don't want to try and break down to the get into any kind of politics about it or anything like that. Uh, at the at its very core, this was a man who was unjustly attacked, unjustly vilified, and had to work for a good damn near 15 years to get around the shit that was done to him. Um, but being a student of history combined with being a student of cinema led me to see through some of the grandiose ideas that the film itself presents and and basically make my own opinions on The idea of being based on a true story, as you guys know from listening to the show, how I feel about based on a true story, so I'm not going to hash it over again. I think that this is a film that worked, that basically tried too hard and overplayed its hand in showing someone who was persecuted unjustly and because of ignoring the faults that humans present on both sides of an issue, and focusing mainly on the oh, I, on the idea of raising someone to a. Uh, Of raising them on a dais of putting them on a pedestal maybe a little too high for what should be reflected upon in real life it it really kind of took me out of the story the other the the other thing that kind of hurt this movie for me was uh there is a key event that happens that that basically kind of turns the movie and it's and i would say this would this was this is generally we refer to things in like the third act you know it's kind of like a three act play in this particular one we definitely have a four act situation going on the fourth act which is where you finally get your turn and you build to the you know you get that crescendo rests solely in the characterization of kirk douglas Kirk Douglas is played by an actor by the name of Dean O'Gorman, and this is a guy who I think did, um, who who presented the writing very very well, and I think he was definitely cast due to his very very uh, similar look to Kirk Douglas at that time, but I just did not buy into the characterization that was portrayed. And I'm not going to rest this one at Jay Roach's feet, because I think beyond a certain point, when the actor is kind of done what they're going to do, you just, as a director, you just got to kind of steer them in the right direction. The writing for what was being presented also was on point, but giving someone... With a bad characterization, a bad interpretation of that character, such a pivotal role to help shape the final the finale of the movie, the closing of that fourth act was really a misstep for me, because it was vastly too wooden, and Kirk Douglas was not like that in real life. um. So these, the, the overarching concept of that, of the film itself, plus com- combined with the pivotal um, aspect of the nature of Kirk Douglas's role and how it allows the film to close really took away this experience for the movie. Overall, though, again, super strong performances uh, by Brian Cranston, also by Helen Mirren, Um and even equally to her own right, Diane Lane, and an interest a very interesting turn also uh from good old Louie there. Keep this movie in the positive for me. I give this one three point two five. So out of five. Definitely liked it. Brian Cranston is, in my opinion, worthy of his nomination. What do you got there, Tim?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think he definitely does deserve that nomination because he's a fun character. Don Trumbo is a character really, and I can definitely see why they decided to take this approach with the film. It's well acted all around, uh, especially Cranston Helen Mirren. I thought overall it just served as a as an effective tribute to the man Dalton Trumbo. I do like how the film was shot and comes across, or and came across as a film from that era, the various shooting styles. You know, it's not a lot of like fancy camera movements, or not a lot of trucking shots or big swooping grandiose shots. Not a lot of that at all. Most of the movie, and it, it was probably about an hour and fifty minutes or so. It's basically, you know, the camera is there. The camera doesn't move a lot, and the actors come to the scene. The camera starts, or in or, the scene begins. You know, the camera moves left to right. The camera might move a little bit, but not a whole lot. And it's kind of nice. It's refreshing. You know, the camera's not getting, or or I should say the direction is not getting in the way of the performances. And I think this movie would have faltered more if that were the case, if Jay Roach wanted to over-direct the film and not let things just happen organically. And that is why we do have good performances from Cranston, Helen Mirren, and, uh, and a few others. Even John Goodman, for example. Because the story and the characters, they don't need any help. <laughs> I mean, the story is just ridiculous on its own. Everything from McCarthyism, just the politics is ridiculous, all the way to what Dalton Trumbo and his gang of misfits had to go through in order to keep making money so i liked all that stuff however i think the one thing that the movie could have used to propel it into greatness territory is more grit it could have used that grit in less of the glitz and glamour and yet it all could have kept all that uh, within the characterizations the glitz i mean but I think the story could have used a little bit more of the, of, of the grittiness and, and more of the human element. However, if you are interested in a really good documentary, there is a great documentary about Trumbo called Trumbo. And it actually came out uh, in 2007. Highly recommend that. However, I give Trumbo, the one with Brian Cran- Cranston, a 3.5 out of 5. I thought it was still a very good film.
0: Very cool, sir. Uh, where would you like to go from there? How about Joy? How about Joy? Um, okay, Joy. Let's do it. Maybe if I can get to it. There we go. 2015 American Semi-Biographical... <laughs> dramedy film uh written and directed by david o russell starring jennifer lawrence robert de niro Edgar ramirez diane ladd virginia madsen isabella rossellini and bradley cooper all right this is a very very loosely based uh real life connection to joy uh mangano who invented a, a mop or something like that um okay here's i'm just going to sum this one up uh, for me three stars and barely gets three stars at this point i think russell is trying to i think he's i think he's just trying not to improperly capitalize on what he has done in the success of silver linings playbook and american hustle but he is trying to unsuccessfully with each continued, and I loved Silver Linings Playbook, I loved American Hustle, but I loved American Hustle for different reasons, also Christian Bale was in that movie um, I think he is trying with lessening degrees of success to maintain the magic of the chemistry that is this trilogy of Robert De Niro and Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper um It's he at this point. It looks like he's just trying too hard. The film literally starts to fall into cliched character territory. But when you have such great actors, they kind of cover that up, and yet it still exists in its own vacuum. And I mean, it tries to have a compelling story, but the fact that they literally have to go into and admit full semi autobiographical or semi biographical. Uh, territory like they can't even claim legit biography they're now loosely trying to connect it Um, shows just how much they're having to stretch this premise out they try to have great characters but instead they have more or less just caricatures and some flash in the pan stuff with a little bit of substance here and there gets three stars but literally just barely for me I'm not really sure about any of the nominations that have really resulted from uh, this film. Primarily Best Actress for Jennifer Lawrence. I, she's a, she's a, She is a damn fine actress. I think this, to a lesser degree, suffers from the similar fate of um, Steve Jobs, where she just did a really, really good job but because the rest of the film was lacking to certain degrees, she just kind of rose above it, so it looks better than it really is. So, there you go. Three stars. What do you got, Tim?
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. This movie is a perfect example of a filmmaker, in this case, David O. Russell, getting too comfortable with their craft or their vision. I mean, you have the success of Silver Linings Playbook, and the at least the 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 critical and universal liked uh, American Hustle, and what this movie was trying. To, I think it was just trying to capitalize on all of that, not necessarily. Uh, the universal praise for it, but the style of filmmaking, you know, he was just kind of too comfortable with it. Oh, we got to place this music here the camera has to move like this and we have to follow the character over here and the character has to be upset at this moment and say these things that the, it was just, it felt too strategic and it felt too uh, reminiscent of his previous movies. And again, like I said, I just think it's a perfect example of him getting too comfortable with his vision. But the performances are all very good. Uh, I was surprised by Isabella Rossellini. It's always nice to see her. Uh, Robert De Niro, another great performance. Uh, the mother, her mother, it took me a while to realize that that is Virginia Madison. I I thought it was somebody else, and upon further investigation, I didn't realize until the credits, or actually closer to the credits, once I started kind of really like looking at her more, It was Virginia Madison. So good job by her for pulling that one off because it doesn't even sound like her, let alone look like her. And just virtually the only issues I had was the directing and the wonky script, which lacked direction and focus as well. I guess there you go. Focus. What is this movie about and what is it going to focus on? Is it entertainment value or is this movie supposed to be, you know, have a message Within it. I don't know. I don't know. But I give this one three out of five as well.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So, where are we going from here? How about Carol? Carol. Okay. This ought to be interesting. 2015 British American Romantic Drama Film. Directed by Todd Haynes. Uh, It's from a screenplay by Phyllis uh, Nagy. But it's based on a novel called The Price of Salt also known as Carol by a woman uh, named Patricia Highsmith the novel is as explained somewhat autobiographical in nature and we are what we have here is uh, 1952 uh, a young lady played by Rooney Mara the, I'm sorry the film stars Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara and it's 1952. Therese, who is again played by Rooney Mara, is an aspiring photographer. She works in a little shop in Walks Carol, played by Kate Blanchett. and they have a chance meeting basically over some presents at Christmas time. And this chance meeting um, ends up providing a avenue for uh, Therese to reconnect with Carol due to you know, basically just simple plot device. And from that, a deeper connection is made. And then, of course, if you've even seen the trailer, uh, you know, love blossoms. Unfortunately, this is 1952. And so, in and of itself, this would present problems. And, of course, we compound this by the fact that uh, Carol is going through a divorce from her husband. Now, while I can certainly appreciate the semi-autobiographical nature of the film... And I realize that even in today's day and age, we have not had enough... um, we, We have not had enough tales of actual romance of all forms of sexuality to run the gamut. I feel like this movie... It, just the film itself tries too hard to tug at your heartstrings given the subject matter. And I again, I understand that we've got a bajillion of these things, none the least of which would be something akin to Wuthering Heights, right? So we've had Laurence Olivier for 80-something years uh, in these kinds of films. And we don't have that kind of breadth. So in terms of that, the film does kind of fill that vacuum, but in doing so I think the film takes advantage of the fact that it's there to fill a vacuum of stories that need to be told. And I think that there is a better way to tell these kinds of stories, even again, given the ideas behind, you know, quote unquote forbidden love or exploring sexuality in a time when it was not as feasible to have been explored. Um, in cinema especially, and relate that, there are better periods to choose from. And ironically, the film industry, which is where we were coming from with Trumbo, is rife with it in stage and early silent film. Many of those women back then were truly avant-garde and had many kinds of romances that were, in some cases, very publicly flaunted. And I think that there are so many more compelling stories in this vein that can be told with the same degree of care and the same level of acting because the performances are very, very good. But the performances aren't enough to save the movie from being very tropey. And I think something that would be more natural in its presentation of the existence of this type of sexuality and of this type of uh, relationship would be something that I think could be more genuine, especially when given its source material. So while the cinematography is fantastic, uh, and of course, it's hard to not have such great cinematography with this kind of caliber. It's also, you know, set design and costuming is just perfectly on point. I felt like it was just a little too sappy instead of a little too, instead of a little more genuine and a little more heartfelt. Again, the performances are Fantastic. But I come away with this one 2.75. I'm, I just did not enjoy it very much because I felt like it was too hard and uh yeah, but the performances, the individual performances of Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, really, really good. There you go. What do you got, Tim?
1: Given that this movie is nominated for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, I just thought the performances were okay. They didn't blow me out of the water. I I mean, I really didn't feel one way or another with them. And maybe it's because I just didn't like the material. As in, not necessarily the subject matter, or not, not at all the subject matter, but the script. I didn't really care for the script, because I really didn't care too much for the characters. And I think that's an issue, because I know they want you to feel... For them, because the how the movie is shot, they want you to go, ah, uh, ah, or ah, or ah, or, uh, or you know whatever those noises are making. They they're good or sad or or upset for what happens to them. Now, I did enjoy watching the movie. I was entertained by it. I liked the scenes, especially between uh, Carol, Kate Blanchett, and her. Soon to be ex husband, I forget what that actor's or Ky- Kyle Chandler, I think is his name. I thought those were really good and felt very authentic. Hardly ever do you see movies that deal with uh, homosexuality, in this case, two women, and people aren't completely taken aback by it. Conversations are had, and it's not swinging to the far to the far right or anything like that. And so I appreciated that. It was kind of neat to see. It was nice. People weren't playing caricatures, but they were playing actual characters, actual people, it felt. The only issue, again, just the writing wasn't all that great. The script. Another thing that I absolutely love from a filmmaking uh, point of view, I thought it had gorgeous cinematography, and I thought the blocking was uh, is something worth noting, there was an excellent sense of location and the, of the time period during the entire film i guess one of the best examples is the opening whenever kate mara's character or not kate mara rooney mara's character uh, she's working at this mall at this department store not a mall at this department store and it's christmas time and she's working in the, and she's in the middle like it's right before opening and As she's doing something, the lights start turning on, and the pre-recorded music turns on, and then there's the announcement comes on as well, and just how the set was decorated, and how the scene was shot, and how the lighting was done, it was just absolutely beautiful, and in some way, I got the feeling of what a 1950s department store in New York City on Christmas would have felt like, and I think that is an achievement on its own, really. Does that mean the movie is great because of it? No, not at all. I mean, I think it's a good movie, and that's about it. It's going to be one that I think people will ultimately, unfortunately, forget as the years go on. Now, I'm not saying the acting is bad. The acting is good. There was just nothing that rememberable. So I give Carol three out of five. Well. Things are just not shaping up for our
0: Oscar nominees this year. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, we've got two left there. Tim, where do you want to turn? How about 45 years? 45 years. All right. Looks like we have uh, another Drama, 2015 British drama film, written and directed by Andrew Haig. Uh, film stars Charlotte Rampling and Tom Courtenay. They are a couple who have been married for 45 years, and with a week to go before their anniversary, uh, celebration of their 45th anniversary, a rather devastating turn of events occurs regarding someone that... Uh, Jeff, played by Tom Courtenay, used to be engaged to, apparently. This causes a, a a rift to develop, as it were, and one that is um there to be thought-provoking all the way to the final frame of the film. This is, I think, what makes this movie so compelling for so many people is that it is a marvelous true to life character study of an elderly couple plus and built upon that foundation is also the fact that these are, this is an, uh, um, a couple that has, has been married for literally their entire adult lives. and, they only have themselves to show for it. Now, this is not about whether or not you have kids or anything like that, but in this particular instance, it's the sum of their lives together. And very much seemingly in this particular instance, that the sum is actually less, uh, well, the whole rather is less than the sum of its parts. Um, the perform i think there i think it's there are solid performances um but i think this is kind of a i want to say i want this is this is kind of like a pair right it, it, it you you can't have one without the other and it's the chemistry between the two between Uh, Charlotte Rampling and Tom Courtenay that make it work and you can't honor one without the other regardless of what you think about the subject's film matter and I did not really find it thought provoking as much as I found it rather unfulfilling and quite frankly a little bit bland Um, I can certainly appreciate the realism and with and and the thoughtfulness with which the with which the actor and the actress and the director came together to bring this to the screen. And I think it's somewhat of a disservice to Tom Courtenay to only have Charlotte Rampling be nominated. And at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't showcase Charlotte Rampling enough on her own to warrant the nomination. But as such, I think it's very telling because there are no other Academy Awards for it. But when you look at, like, Berlin International Film Festival, British Independent Film, a British Academy film, um, you see that it's the culmination of the efforts are being, um, are basically being addressed. So, on the merits of the film, I I give this one again uh, a 2.75. I wasn't really overly impressed. It was a clever premise, but I don't think it was... Um, I just don't think it was executed overall very well. I think something like this needed a, a truer conclusion than what you're going to get. Uh, but at the same time, I feel personally that the characters themselves were both excellently acted. And yet... They they were in they, they were they were acted together and they should have been nominated together. If you're going to leave out one, leave out both. Two point seven five. What do you got there, Tim?
1: Forty five years is a very nice film. I mean, very much like what Matt said. This would have been this would have just been a an overlong, grayish, bland film without the character the uh without these two character performances it makes for a very interesting character study i mean matt you were i mean you you said what i was gonna say completely i mean it's definitely a character story study this movie is by no means story driven because what the story is about happens within the first five minutes of the movie i mean you find out this guy's relation or uh, you find out what is bumming this guy out or what ends up bumming this guy out and why it bumps him out. And therefore why him being bummed out by that is, is, is kind of a kink in their 45 year relationship right now. So it's a very interesting character study. And, and, and that's all, I mean, all I can really do say about, or what all I can really say about the movie is complimenting the character work. Uh, because the negatives, in in some way, I I don't think it was. I I don't think it it took a lot of. I mean, I don't want to sound completely bad or completely uh, mean for saying this, but it it seemed like if it, if definitely if it wasn't for these two actors or these two particular performances, the movie would have been nothing. You would have had nothing. What I really liked about the characters is that there was a constant disconnect between the two of them. Even during their more intimate moments in the film. The, 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 uh, because the disconnect began when the two actually met 45 years prior. The husband, you find out, he lost this woman. So he was going through a hard time. And you find out Charlotte Rampling's character, she was going through a hard time at that at that moment as well. So when they met, they were both saddened by something. They were both going through a hard time. And they just decided just to move on, enjoy each other's company, and not really divulge any of that information with the other. Other than Charlotte Rampling's character, who she's the one that actually told him that information over time. But he d- failed allegedly failed to mention this to her and i do appreciate in the movie where he's like oh it's been so long ago did i not i surely i told you but it's been so long ago maybe maybe i forgot and i love that because that's real those are real characters these are this is a real these are this is a real couple that's been together for so long that if anything was gonna drive the two apart it would be something like this this is that thing that would ruin that bond affection for somebody else a long affection a longing affection for somebody else and that resurgence happening all of a sudden so the two of these people met and they both uh, uh, these uh, both of these people met during hard times uh and so, those are their characters just only one de- uh only one of them decided to tell the other of their hard time the ending is really the only logical way to have ended the film i've heard some people complain like well the movie just kind of ends well how else are you going to end it spoiler alert i guess just warning i mean this is this is a spoiler alert for the last few seconds of the movie. When you reach that age or when you reach that point of your life and you don't really know, well, I mean, for, I mean and, and if something like this happens, yeah, you might feel that it's a little petty, but it's affecting you in a great way. Will anything like this really ever leave your system? Will it ever get out? Will you ever forgive or forget? More than likely, no. And that's exactly how the movie needed to end and that is exactly how it ended and i loved i absolutely loved that whole scene at the end it was beautiful everything that encapsulates what that marriage is whether it be their happiness uh their love for one another what makes the two an item or what had made the two an item for 45 years and give them them so many memories whether if it was the turtles this uh in their in their song that they danced to or or their friends there's that one thing. There is that one thing that could ruin it all. And that's how the movie ends. And it is a great, great ending to an otherwise uh, very drab film. Yes, it takes talent to to capture these performances. And I do not want to discredit uh, the director, Andrew Hay. But it all, the entire movie, relies on uh charlotte rampling and tom courtney so i give this one 3.5 out of 5 for 45 years okay so i need to
0: ask so you felt okay because it, it seems like we saw two different endings to the movie so he gives his little speech since we since we've already crawled into spoiler territory he gives his little speech at the end of the movie. Right, the little speech at the party or whatever, and then the the camera kind of shifts over to her, and she just kind of gets this like stoic kind of look on her face, right? Mm-hmm. And then it just goes, and that that's it.
1: No, I thought no, the movie. I thought the movie ended. They're dancing. The movie ends with her with them dancing to that song by the turtles, and he goes mm-hmm. away. And as he's going off laughing and having a good time, the camera stays on her and her facial expression just changes. And that's the end of the movie.
0: Right. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. So the the dancing part, right? Fine. But still, so those last few things is that it's that rather, it's not, see for me, it wasn't a stony look that came over her. It was just kind of a stoic, like, this is my fate. I have accepted it. But you're interpreting it as no, it's not. This is not the end, and it's not going to. It's not going to end well.
1: Well, no, not necessarily. It's not going to end well. But like, this is some like if anything was going to to ruin a marriage like theirs, it had. A, and that, I don't want to say ruin as it. I mean, they're obviously not going to get a divorce because there is obviously that affection there. And even based on Tom Courtney's uh, Jeff, his speech to her. It was full of love. Then again, he could have been sure, remembering the girl. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, he could have been remembering the girl. kind of, Exactly. So I kind of think she just kind of, accept, in, in a way, I don't want to say accepted, because to me that look, did, to me didn't look like it was a look of acceptance. It looked like she tried really hard to get over it, but she can't. And, okay. and unfortunately, that's what it's always going to be like.
0: Well okay and see that's the thing that gets me because all right and again the way you're interpreting in- interpreting <laughs> interpreting that look is where i think the movie should have carried even just enough i don't even care if you wanted to do like a split screen or something like that uh to give a juxtaposition or to instead of using the audio cue uh while they focus on her because have you seen, have, have you, did you ever, uh, have you watched the Netflix, uh, thing with Jane Fonda and, um, oh, Lily L- Tomlin, no. Frankie, oh, Frankie and, and uh,
1: whatever. Oh, no. Okay.
0: Yeah. So in that movie, Lily Tomlin's character uses a phrase because she's upset. Obviously her husband, uh, of all these years has come out and said, you know, I'm gay or whatever. And she tells him, you know what? You should have run out the clock. We didn't have that much time left instead of introducing all this turmoil. And I think that that's kind of where the crux of the movie failed because that's the decision that needed to be made by both parties. And it wasn't you. It was made by the husband clearly, regardless of what you want to read into that last speech because it's that last speech that leads into the dance that leads that it's basically that last speech that he gives at the party that sets that tone for the fa- for the last shot Re- you know regardless of the dancing part and when you when you're in that position you have two choices run out the clock cuz you don't have that much time left or by god you don't have that much time left least get in the last few minutes that you can. And I I don't there that resolution
1: isn't there for me. But I, I so I'm trying to understand And that's what I love. And that's what I like oh. because that's that's life because something as crappy as this for a relationship for these two people, for her especially I mean it's 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 ongoing, you know. It it can't be summed up then and there. I mean, it's still fresh on their mi- on her mind because it was. I think it, the entire movie takes uh, is only uh, spans a week or a little less than yeah, a week.
0: It's the week that they're leading up. It is literally the week of their party, right? That the movie takes place. Yeah, in.
1: yeah. So you're only dealing with that span of time, and I I I, I mean, I just thought it was it was a beautiful ending. How it was shot and well, how it was executed? Well, there you go. So
0: now it's up to you guys. Do you, do you find that Tim's uh, interpretation of the ending is better or more accurate than mine? Do you think mine's more accurate or better than Tim's? Neither. Both. Let us know. We need to hear from you, Diana. <laughs> All right. Well, then that leaves us with last but not least the danish girl 2015 british biographical drama film oh look another british drama kind of makes you wonder why we even bother having the oscars the british already have their own oscars we should just you know meld the two together uh let's see here it's directed by tom hooper it's based on the 2000 fictional novel of the same name by david erbershoff uh and very loosely inspired by the lives of uh, Lily Elbe and Gerda Wagner, or Wagner. Uh, it stars Eddie Redmayne, Valish, Alicia Vikander, and also has performances from Matthias Schenartz, Ben Wischau, I'm sorry, Wisha, Sebastian Koch, and Amber Heard. Uh, basically, we have a young. Portrait artist, Gerda, and she asks her husband, who is also an artist, uh, Einar, uh, played by Eddie Redmayne, Gerda, again, played by Alicia Vikander, to basically kind of portray a woman as a subject because, well, her model didn't show up. And this, of course, triggers a whole series of things for Einar, who actually um, identifies as Lily or Lily. Lily was it Lily or Lily, Tim it was it was definitely Lily Lily thank you okay um and now we have um some new complications in terms of what Lily is after <laughs> uh combined with Gerda trying to make the adjustment and Gerda also kind of trying to find her way with another character um, oh, Hans and that's uh, played by Matthias uh Schenarts, Schoenarts. so um I'm not sure I I um I really think that uh, it's a good I mean <sighs> It's too hard to say one way or the other. It's really kind of an interesting film, but again, just like last year, where Eddie Redmayne uh, was playing the amazing astrophysicist, he seems to have... Oh, gosh. He played Stephen Hawking, and I think that he he's choosing these roles that I feel are more or less Oscar bait. It's not that he's not a good actor cause he is, but in the same token, it just seems like it's, it's too easy. He's a good actor and it's some compelling material. So naturally it's just going to be carried away by everything else that's being done. Um, I don't know that it's actually, I don't want to say it's flash in the pan, but I think it could have been a little bit more compelling than it was. I personally thought that Alicia Vikander did a lot better than, uh, in her job of portraying uh, Gerda, than... Eddie Redmayne did, because she's the one who has to deal with the transition. Yes, the transition is important, but her support and her dealings with it made made the rest of it possible. Um, Cinematography is decent, so at the end of the day, I come away with this one, 3.25. I felt like it could have been a little bit... I felt like it could have done more, Um and I feel like it's just kind of landing on the uh I guess more more along the lines of the importance of the idea instead of the strength of the performance and the and the worth of the material overall three point two five take it away, Tim.
1: this was my favorite film of this week. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I love Tom Hooper's movies uh one of well one movie that i all of you would recognize or be familiar with, I'm sure, is The King's Speech that was nominated and won many Academy Awards a few years back and he also directed Les Miserable Les Miserable <laughs> from a couple years ago. But very much like The King's Speech, The Danish Girl has many of the same qualities, those qualities being that the movie is shot wonderfully. It's an absolutely beautiful film to look at and there is wonderful English wit throughout the entire film that makes the movie not only just good or that that not only makes the movie just good and well crafted but entertaining and that more uh and, and and a little more enjoyable I guess. And like wit and like kind of what I mentioned with Alan Rickman's performances of of his villains or what makes a good villain, uh, not just his, but it adds personality, good wit does well executed wit as personality when it's peppered through drama, dramatic storytelling you know i mean there's nothing better than human than, than human qual uh, and there's nothing else that screams more or and there's nothing that better represents human qualities like human wit, and this movie is littered through it, and that's why you really feel for uh for eddie redmayne's character of lily as well as alicia van Ka- uh, as well as leisha vikander's gerda because they're just so damn funny when they need to be uh, uh but not like laugh out loud hilarious adam mckay funny no 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 very human chuckles and you just love the characters for who they are I thought that The Danish Girl was definitely a compelling story that was worth telling. Redmayne gives a beautifully nuanced performances. He nails all the subtleties to an absolute T. His mannerisms of what his character is experiencing via via his body, his face, his vocal expression especially his insecurities, how he expresses his insecurities, not just like when he's using his hand as he is Lily, just brushes his cheek, brushes his eye, how he speaks at first when he's very uncomfortable, very shy in public as her, as uh, as Lily as the first time. It's just wonderful. And throughout the movie, you see him watching other women, go about their day and he mimics them and he studies them and he watches them and he uses that to create his his himself as a woman to become the woman and as he does that you see him evolve and that is something not to take lightly when it comes to acting that is excellent acting mannerisms like his are absolutely fantastic and again he nails him to a T. In fact, I I mean I he's probably probably my my top choice for best actor. He deserved the Oscar. He is fantastic. I think Alicia Vikander is so far my number 2 in the running of best Oh shit, is she is she best actress or best support? I think she's best supporting actress. Um if she's best supporting actress then she's number 2. Well actually if she's best supporting or best actress she is my number two fantastic acting all around but the most important thing about the movie the my my favorite aspect about the movie is the cinematography and the direction every shot is absolutely beautiful every shot is a painting very much like mr turner every shot was well thought out there was a great dialogue between the cinematographer, the lighting crew as well and the and the director, Tom Hooper. Absolutely brilliant. Every single shot, and I am not shitting you, every single goddamn shot. Very much like The King's Speech. Brilliant. However, this movie is not a perfect movie. It definitely loses its footing as it nears its conclusion. And that's really all I gotta say. Uh, and that pertains to the characters, the writing, and the direction. Uh, just nothing really. It doesn't have that push or that umph. And I think it relies too heavily on the performances and not enough on good writing to really, to, to really, to really make things stick with you. So I give the Danish Girl four point two five out of five
0: right on right on okay well next week we've got a six movie week oh my god six movies one two three four five yes six movies we are going to be discussing room the 100 year old man who climbed out of the window and disappeared *Anomalisa* boy in the world sean the sheep the movie and when marnie was there that's right so again that's why no segment three no bonus segment next week lots of movies to cover and with that i believe we are at the spiel are we not sir
1: spiel on
0: all right. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can even follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. And don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. So until next week, this is George, this is Matt saying that thanks to George Burns, I get to say
1: this. Don't stay in bed unless you can make money in bed. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week.